Welcome to REI Energy and Climate Podcast. This is Erin from REI. We are a Beijing-based independent think tank with the focus on climate policy and energy transition. As this year's first episode, I'd like to start off by wishing our listeners a happy new year. In our last week's episode, we reviewed the major events in energy and climate industry from 2021, like the outcomes of COP26, transportation decarbonization, healthcare emission reduction, and the impact of coal phase-out pledge. To learn more about the highlights of our last episode and highlights from our show from last year, we encourage you to check out uh, our episode from last week. Happy New Year, everyone. This is Zhao Wang. Many advancements in energy and climate policy in 2021 may still matter in this year. In today's episode, we would like to look into the potential challenges surrounding China's climate and energy events in 2022. We will discuss the power supply issue, how China's methane emission reduction commitment to be materialized, and how China to enhance its NDCs ahead of COP27, which would be held by Egypt's government in the end of 2022. Yeah, so in episode 47, we already examined in detail the reasons behind China's power shortages that was at its worst between August to October of last year. Um, shutting down factories and affecting residential electricity throughout the country. However, that was not an one-off event. So to alleviate the pressure from the coal shortages, China has already expanded its coal mining from its mining-dense provinces like Shanxi province and Inner Mongolia. And they are running their mines 24-7 to ensure an increased production. Um, from the latest data, we see that in Inner Mongolia, China's largest coal-producing province, it's produced more than 1.05 billion tons of coal in 2021, which was a rise from the 1.006 billion tons in 2020 and achieving it the highest it's been in three years. But the energy supply is a lasting challenge for, for the whole country. Since November 2021, power supply has largely come back to normal due to the rapid increase of coal production from the major coal mining provinces. The coal pricing has been stable. However, this doesn't last long. Just last week, one of the major coal producers around the world, Indonesia, announced it will ban coal export for January 2022. It's a very short period of time, only for one month, but uh, it's already created a very ripple effect in the international coal trading market. Uh, for example, in China, after this news came out, uh, in China's Zhengzhou's coal market, the pricing has already increased by 8% just within a, uh, a few days. Uh, as the largest international coal exporter, Indonesia accounted for 40% of the uh, traded coal in the international market. At its peak, Indonesia exported 21 million tons of coal to China only in September 2021, just one month time. 
Yeah, and this change in the global coal market could lead to another round of turbulence in the coal supply and also the power outage problem that China has faced in 2021. So um, starting on January 1st of 2022, um, electricity prices has already increased across the country. So different provinces has uh, set different standards for the price increase. But on average, an increase of baseline price is by 20% um, in different provinces. And the increase for peak time electricity price is somewhere between 50 to 60%. And then an additional 20% increase on the the busiest season and the busiest time in its electricity prices. Yeah, you can see the price change uh, in for the heavy industries has been uh, increased, uh, the fluctuations. Uh, in the ruling from October 2021, steel industry in 36 areas are required to cut production by 30% until March 2022. Um, I think that policy move uh, was attributed to major reasons. One is about the uh, the power uh, supply still in the stress, uh, in a very stressful situation. So in order to uh, face the uh, heating uh, demands from the residential sector, I think for the industries, mm, the consumption of the electricity has to be uh, controlled in this way. The second reason is about some um, a very big event. You know, uh, the surrounding areas uh, of Beijing, including Hebei, Shanxi, Shandong, and Henan provinces, they have to reduce their steel production in order to uh, support uh, the air quality uh, for the uh, Beijing Winter Olympic Games. Yeah, so this is very... Um special event for China. Um, so we'll see how the this control and steel industry will plan out after the Olympics. Um, so Zhao Long, I was reading an article that um, that talks about even the cost to install solar PVs has increased over the last few months um, due to the electricity charge increase to produce those panels yeah it's it's true i mean from the heavy industry production control to the higher cost of producing renewable energy devices you can tell that china's power outrages or power supply challenge is a, a quite um, widely uh, felt challenge across the economic uh, activities I think the power supply and the energy security as a whole will be a big challenge uh, in this year. China will need to invest uh, about 6.5 trillion US dollar uh, and fundamentally change its energy structure in order to reach its carbon uh, goals uh, by the middle of this century, according to a study by Tsinghua University. And similar studies also we read from uh, international institutions, uh, the energy transition investment demand is, is huge. And that means um, 163 billion US dollar annual investment 
in renewable energy will be double what China invested in uh, 2019. So many people question whether China can decouple fossil fuel consumption and uh, with economic growth. Yeah, so that decoupling will be difficult for China in the coming years. Just in recent time, uh, one thing I want to add is about the Chinese Academy of Environmental Planning, uh, which is under the Ministry of Environment and uh, uh, Ministry of Environment, released a very important document called China Product Carbon Footprint Factors Database in order to help set standardized calculation methods for emission calculation in all industries across the economy. So this is a very significant uh, move in terms of taking its first step to set up standards for industries because they have to use those factors to calculate the baseline emissions uh, then to set goals for them to reach uh, the climate goals uh, in the future. Without this database, uh, I think it's my, it should be quite difficult for them to calculate the life cycle analysis carbon footprint of the industrial product in China. Yeah, although it sounds uh, like a delayed policy move, um, but the carbon footprint factor database will still be very significant in terms of speeding up the actors across industries to make reasonable carbon accounting and emission reduction strategies for different sectors in China and also develop its decarbonization roadmaps for different industries and especially the heavy carbon producing industries in the country. Yeah, I remember during the China-US joint announcement uh, during the COP26, uh, one of China's uh, commitment was about uh, increased data transparency and the data uh, availability. I mean, in order to make the very uh, reasonable climate goals and uh, policies, uh, data (laughs) actually the fundamental instrument or the starting point. So I think from the beginning of this year and this policy move just give out a signal that China really want to speed up its uh, climate commitment uh, and the policy measurement. Uh, But how will this policy uh, turn out and how those industrial players use um, this database to do the very reasonable counting and uh, even based on that to make the carbon reduction strategy or decarbonization roadmaps, that's still an open question. I hope this uh, policy move can, can be very effective and productive in the near future. Now, let me talk about China's NDC update before this year's COP. Under the current global climate governance context, I do think China is highly likely enhance its NDC target uh, during this year, before COP27. There are some reasons. Uh, First one is, I think, uh, the COP26 uh, was very effective in uh, mobilizing the global uh, consensus in speeding up the climate actions uh, after uh, COP26, because uh, there's not much time left between now and 2030 
to achieve very ambitious targets of the uh, halving global carbon emissions by by that time. Uh, and secondly, is I think there are a growing trend of a climate competition uh, because some countries which uh, have similar economic and uh, uh, technological capacities, some countries which want to build up some bilateral or multilateral uh, financial schemes to support the energy transition, for example, between uh, South Africa and some European countries and the U.S., and they, they want to build up this uh, mutual uh, mechanism to help the South Africa reduce the coal dependence. So under those contexts, I think China definitely want to continue its climate ambitions and commitments in this year. I think there are some potential areas for China to uh, refresh or enhance its commitment on NDC. Firstly, it's about the uh, methane commitment. Although China did uh, that announcement in COP26, but there hasn't been any specific reduction target on this area announced. I think China can can do something on that in the, in the first half of the 2022. Secondly, it's about the uh, road transportation decarbonization. China has been the biggest market of the electric vehicles for quite many years. I think China already said, okay, by 2030, uh, China wants to uh, sell uh, the new cars at least 40 to 45% uh, are new energy or low uh, carbon emission cars. I think in, on that uh, area, China may increase the target maybe from uh, 40, 45 to 50%. And the, the, the final thing is about the coal consumption because if China wants to achieve carbon neutrality in the long term, uh, China has to make early move to think about how to reduce the coal dependence. While China is still facing the power supply challenges in a daily basis, but um, in order to achieve the balance uh, or achieve the the time window to cut off the coal dependence uh, or reduce the coal uh, consumption uh, in the near future, I think China needs to think about that. So from a report that was um, published by the California Climate Institute, uh, we reviewed previously in episode 47, it was determined that in order for China to stay on track with the globally recognized 1.5 degree temperature increase scenario, it has to reach its carbon peak in 2025 and reach carbon neutrality by 2050. So that is uh, slightly ahead of the already committed Chinese NDC of carbon peaking in 2030 and neutrality in 2060. And um, I think that in terms of China's development, we could see potential changes in the NDC to speed up the schedule. Yeah, I think this report remind me of the IEA report in September uh, in 2021. After IEA's um, net zero by 2050 global report, uh, many people expected IEA's idea and uh, 
calculation or scenario analysis about China's situation. And in that report, IEA also argues China can achieve uh, the carbon peak by 2025. Uh, in that scenario, China can harvest a lot of the social and the environment and economic benefits by investing heavily investing renewables and the low carbon technologies. So that increased the possibility for China to achieve the carbon neutrality by 2050. Otherwise, if China continue to follow uh, carbon peak by 2030, I think uh, by 2050, China might be very difficult to uh, reach the carbon neutrality target. And that's the very significant uh, context for the global climate governance because uh, without China's enhanced commitment uh, about the long-term climate policy, I think in a global level, to achieve 1.5 scenario, 1.5 uh, degree Celsius scenario, it's almost uh, uh, impossible. So, but we still have time. I think China definitely will put that into account to see uh, whether uh, to align with some OECD countries um, target and um, and to uh, move China's uh, carbon neutrality uh, achieving year from 2060 as early as possible. After discussing the power supply and the NDC updates uh, in China, let's talk about China's methane emission reduction actions to look forward to in 2022. So we expect China to release a national level methane reduction mechanism and policy in the early months of this year, especially um, looking forward to China announcing a target of methane reduction. Uh, to reach by 2030. So Zhang, what are some opportunities for China to reduce its methane emissions? Yeah, I think this is a very hot topic for for people uh, watching China's climate uh, engagement. Here I want to share a report by World Resources Institute, uh, WRI in short, titled Opportunities to Enhance Non-Carbon Dioxide Greenhouse Gas mitigation in China. Uh, this report was published a few years ago, but I think the policy recommendations are still relevant. The study demonstrates a lot of opportunities for China to reduce its methane by using existing and affordable technologies. The report predicts China's methane emission to continue to grow until, uh, like grow uh, 31% until 2030 where the majority will come from leaked methane during the coal mining processes. This can be tackled for this specific uh, methane leaking. This report suggests using the CBM method. It's called coal bed methane extraction to not only reduce methane leakage, but also increase uh, coal productivity and extraction safety. Landfill methane emission will account for 6% of non-CO2 greenhouse gas emission of total by 2030. So in a press conference that was um, held by the Ministry of Ecology and Environment of China, on, that was held on, on November 25th of uh, 2021, 
The leader of the Department of Climate Change said that、uh, the national level methane action plan was under formulation, and under this action plan. Um, that、uh, quote unquote promoting the introduction of China's methane emission control action plan is the most relevant、um, policy that is under play, and out of this policy, there are two areas where it specified the control of methane in the waste management industry. So those are、um, emphasizing the establishment of emission reduction policies, technologies, and standards for waste management, and also the methane emission reduction projects to participate in a voluntary greenhouse gas emission reduction trading program.、Um, so regarding the methane control in municipal solid waste sector. Zhao Wang, could you、um, provide a little bit more detail for us? Since REI has worked with many environmental NGOs in 2021 to explore the approach of、um, accounting the carbon emissions reduction potential and benefits of composting and recycling of、uh, within the waste management industry. Sure, that sounds good. Uh, we introduced a carbon calculation tool focused on waste management to Chinese NGOs working on various topics of sustainable waste management. The tool was developed by IGES Institute of Global Environmental Strategies, a Japanese policy think tank. In 2022, we will keep working with IGES and the Chinese environmental NGOs to apply the tool, which will. Was already translated from English into Chinese by us, and、uh, we we apply this tool in the actions of the NGOs. We hope our efforts may help environmental NGOs to understand the climate benefits of their actions across the cities and local communities and some、uh, areas. Well, thank you, John, for that introduction, and I really hope to see more applications. Um, of the tool and how that could bring out climate smart actions from our NGOs in the waste sector. So to reduce the methane emissions in the waste management area in China, there are some technologies that's already in use. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, the most important factor to consider is reducing the organic comp- composition of waste. That means you you have to、uh, separate the organic waste or the gardening waste from those、uh, recyclable waste or those cannot recycle at the moment but has to be、uh, put into the landfill or incinerators. So the separation, collection, and the recycling is definitely very important. According to Global Methane Assessment. Benefits and the cost of mitigating methane emissions, which is published by、uh, United Nations Environment Program, the global waste sector is expected to reduce methane emission by twenty nine to thirty six million tons a year by twenty thirty. The emission reduction potential is mainly on solid waste disposal. Sixty、uh, percent of the waste emission reduction. Uh, can be achieved at negative or the low cost, including recycling 
separation and composting. Uh, so I think uh, this is a very clear message uh, to Chinese uh, policymakers. If the government wants to reduce the uh, methane emission from the waste, I think the, the, uh, the three R's, reduce, reuse, and recycle, will be the most powerful tool to uh, reduce the organic waste or uh, landfill. In China, there are already many landfills on operation or uh, closed up. And I think uh, the, the best way to uh, cope with that challenge is to use uh, the low cost or affordable technologies to build up uh, facilities to collect the uh, methane gas from the landfills. Uh, either from uh, uh, burning the methane directly or use the energy recovery uh, technology to uh, produce heating or even electricity from the landfill uh, collecting gases. So I think uh, there are huge potential uh, for, for this kind of investment and, uh, uh, and also very cost-effective. I think China uh, might have um, some very clear policy uh, initiative uh, in this year to support uh, the methane reduction in the uh, landfill. Yeah, that's right. And I think uh, it will be exciting for us to see how China can push forward these uh, policies and targets within the next year. So this is all for our episode, and we really hope you enjoyed um, our predictions within the climate and energy industry for 2022 in China. If you have any questions about any of our episodes, uh, you're welcome to contact us via email um, at info at rei.org.cn or through LinkedIn by searching REI. We believe this will be a big year for energy and climate industry in China, and we are excited to see what will bring us in the future. See you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye.